You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is The Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. So good to be with you all. Oh, welcome to the 2022 uh, Thrive Conference. How do you feel about that word? Does it sound exciting and energizing or overwhelming or exhausting? However you are feeling tonight, I just want to say welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, last year, I was at this conference, and uh, Beth had asked if I would do one of the Inspire sessions like Wesley had done up there, and I said, oh yeah, for sure, I'll do that. And then like a week before the conference, I called her just in tears and asked her if she would come over to my back porch. So she did. She came over to my back porch, and she was drinking coffee, And I was slinging back yogurt because it was the only thing my ulcered stomach could handle at the time. And uh, I just admitted to her and really to myself that I was not in a good place. I was not thriving. I was struggling and floundering. And I had known it for a while, but I didn't want to stop and think about it. And I definitely didn't want to admit it. So I thought, you know, if I just keep pushing forward and if I keep staying busy or distracted, it'll all be okay, right? I mean, that's a great plan. But really, all I was doing was keeping like a lid on this pot of anxiety that was just on simmer all the time. And I knew that if I let up for just even a minute, it would just all boil over. So I had no plans to let up. But around this time last year, my oldest daughter, Riley, was scheduled to have a seven-hour surgery on her spinal cord. And um, it would require her to live at the hospital for an unknown extended period of time. They told us to prepare for two months to live there. And then, you know, an additional three months of driving back and forth to Akron. So uh, I was busy preparing for that and packing and taking Riley to a lot of surgery appointments and doctor's appointments and just making arrangements for our youngest daughter, Callie, for a while we would be gone. And the night before the surgery, we were packed and ready to go. And seemingly out of nowhere, Riley starts coughing and sneezing, and she wakes up the next morning with this horrible cold and we had to call the hospital and her doctor wanted to reschedule her surgery for five weeks later. And she was super excited about that. She was like, yes, I don't have to do that for a while. And was really excited to have five more weeks at home. The doctor really encouraged us. He said, you really need to stay home, to quarantine, to help her get the, the best chance of being healthy for her surgery. So she was super excited and I was super terrified. I was just so scared to be at home for five weeks with nothing to do because everything was already done. It was ready to go. So that's how Beth found me last year when she came over to my porch. I was sobbing into my yogurt and um, just told her, 
I was in no shape to do a Thrive Conference, and I don't know what I expected her to say to that very obvious fact. You know, I know her well enough that I knew she would take it all in stride and that she would be very gracious, which she was, but I did not expect her to say, oh, it's okay, I think you'll be speaking next year, and I think you'll be sharing about, you know, some of the things you're going to be learning in this season I don't know what I said. I think I just like stared at her and ate more yogurt. I could not imagine the hot mess that I was speaking at any conference, Thrive Conference. And yet, here we are. <laughs> are you nervous? Like, what is she going to talk about? I'm nervous too. <laughs> We're all in this together. <laughs> but the thoughts I have to share with you are by no means original or new ones. In fact, I worried for a long time if they would seem old hat or far too simple, but it's easy to dismiss the seemingly simple things. So for example, when you know the hospital called to say that Riley's surgery had officially been rescheduled, you know, I didn't know what to do with myself and you know, I should have been just really excited that we got five weeks to, together as a family when we were looking at like being apart for a while and you know, put up the Christmas decorations early and watch Christmas movies. But instead, I was just super anxious by just everything coming to a halt. And I was in no shape for running, but I felt like I could run for miles and just keep running and running and running. But I couldn't go anywhere. The farthest I could go was that back porch. So that's what I did. I booked it to my back porch as soon as my kids were napping. And I sat down that day with nothing to do in a really long time. And I just sat there and cried my eyes out. I know you guys know this, but there's like a weight to this life. We all feel it. Some days, you know, it's just there. And other days and other seasons, it's just crushing. You know, it feels overwhelming. And we can try to distract ourselves. We can claim busyness. We can, you know, pretend that weight's not there. But deep down, like we all know, that really doesn't work. And I remember sitting on my porch last year thinking, I'm missing something, like I have to be missing something because however I was trying to shoulder that weight, it was just not working. And uh, that's when my dad walked around the corner, just a lot of people found me on my porch not doing so well. So he walked around the corner and I didn't have time to wipe my eyes or try to pull myself together, but That didn't seem to matter to him. He just sat down beside me and he put his arm around my shoulder. And I remember asking him, what am I missing? How do I do this? And I was kind of asking how I would help Riley walk through the surgery and the rehab that she was about to walk through. But really, I think I was asking a bigger question, like, how do I do life and do it well? Because however I was going about it, It just wasn't sustainable. And I remember his answer surprised me. He said, how about we take a deep breath? And I was like, really? Okay. So I took a couple shaky breaths, and he encouraged me to, if you know my dad, this is just him, look at the sunshine and the beautiful fall colors on the ground and just... Uh, you know, and, but really, he was being serious. He said, you know, God is in all of this. He is with us right now. His spirit is in us, and um, we get to breathe in his presence. I remember him saying, just go ahead, breathe in his presence. And um, he said, I wonder if it's more about not doing than a lot of doing, more about resting 
and breathing in his presence. And that seemed a little too simple to me, a little too easy, and yet also really, really hard. Like sitting still, breathing deep, that was just as foreign to me as the word thrive. The more I thought about it though, had a lot of time to think, you know, the more something was stirring in my soul, and I was reminded of the story of Martha and Mary. I read it a lot last year, and it's found in Luke 10, 38 through 42, and I'll just read it for you. It says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. And the Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by these many distractions? Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and I won't take this privilege from her. Do you ever read this story and cringe a little bit? I used to read it like I was peeking through my fingers, trying not to stare at um, Martha while she got called out in front of all of her family and friends for not being like her sister. I always felt so bad for her. You know, Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. She invited him to be there, and she wanted to give Jesus a place to you know, take his sandals off and wash his feet and rest, and she wanted to serve him a meal. And, and not just him. You know, Jesus didn't travel by himself. He had like a 12-deep entourage at least. So she was going to make dinner for everybody. You know, we know she wasn't worried about Instagram. You know, they didn't have to have, like, a picture for it. But, you know, you can imagine there were social pressures, you know, a certain way to entertain, especially someone of Jesus' status. He was a rock star teacher. People followed him everywhere, crowds of people. So he came into her house with his 12 guys. But who knows? You know, maybe the whole town was coming and wanting to peek through her windows and get a look at Jesus. So... We can imagine, you know, 13-some pairs of sandals piled up by her door and her living room packed with people, like, waiting for dinner, people peeking in her windows, maybe. So can you blame her for being just a little frazzled? And you can imagine Martha looking around, like, for her sister, like, where could she be desperately for help? And you can imagine how frustrated and overwhelming overwhelmed and maybe even hurt Martha could have felt when she spotted her her sister her fellow hostess just lounging with everybody else and not just in the corner where she could like sneak over and whisper in her ear like hey, I could really use some help but in the prime spot right in front of Jesus sitting at his feet so maybe Martha weaved her way through and whispered in Jesus's ear, or maybe she just yelled across the room. We don't know, but we do know she interrupted him, you know, right in the middle of whatever he was saying. We can imagine that it was with a lot of emotion. She was upset. Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You can almost hear her saying, Jesus, don't you see me? Don't you see that all I'm trying to do for you, like, help a girl out. So, I mean, 
Maybe you can relate. Do you ever feel like you're running around trying to keep your head above water? You're just going and praying on the run. Please, Lord, help me. And then also wondering, like, does he even see me? Does he see all that I'm doing? Jesus did see Martha. He saw her as much as he saw Mary at his feet. He saw Martha running frantically about her house. He saw her getting more and more frazzled by social pressures. He saw her her so caught up in doing so much for him that she was missing the joy and the pleasure of having God himself in the flesh in her living room. And Martha was hoping Jesus would help her out, and he did, but in a way that she wasn't expecting. She was hoping Jesus would tell her sister to help her, but instead Jesus offers her help in a way that went far beyond her living room. Um, Out of his great love for her, he says, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by these many distractions? Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She's undistracted, and I won't take this privilege from her. And I used to read this story and think, oh, goody two-shoes Mary. She must have had it all figured out, but... Did she, or did she just make a choice in that moment to spend focused, intentional time with Jesus? And in making that choice, she discovered something truly life-changing. She found the quiet place, the place of rest we are all craving, a place our souls are longing to come home to. Jesus said in this place, Mary was undistracted, and this was a privilege that would not be taken from her. I looked up that word privilege and found its synonyms to be a special right, advantage, benefit, freedom, immunity, pleasure. So in choosing to spend time with Jesus, we get the special right to be undistracted. We get the advantage and the benefit of not being owned and marked by stress and anxiety and frustration and hurts. We get to be free from the approval or the disapproval of others. We get the pleasure of just being us, the works of process that we all are, and we get to be reminded of who we are, children of God, and we're adopted by his love. And so after reading the story of Martha and Mary, and just as I was reading it, hearing this invitation to pull up a chair with Jesus, I found myself just coming back to that spot on my back porch while I was home for a couple weeks. And I tried to sit down with no agenda, just with the intent to simply just be with God. Do some breathing. So simple, right? Right. All I had to do was show up. Super easy, right? No. (laughs) It's not easy. I think I sat there for like five minutes before I was like, okay, wow, that was long enough. And I went back inside you know, getting back to who knows what. I don't think it's lost on Jesus that it's a choice we make to come to the quiet place and sit at his feet. He is not unaware of the distractions that come with being human and living in the world that we live in. I mean, he lived here too. He wore the same skin that we wear. Um, I know he didn't live in 2022, but You could argue that he knew a thing or two about a full schedule and being busy. In Luke 5, 15 through 16, we read, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. 
I don't know if you watch The Chosen. I really like, you know, watching that. And there's a scene where he's healing everybody and he comes back to his tent and he's like, <laughs> has to sit down, catch his breath, wash his feet, and just is tired. I just never thought about that, you know, before. But he knew what it felt like to be tired. And then it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. There's a really great read out there called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by John Mark Comer. And in it, he says that the phrase lonely places comes from a Greek word. And it has a lot of different meanings. And I really like one of them. It's Several of the different meanings are deserted place, desolate place, solitary place, lonely place, wilderness, and then the quiet place. And Jesus often withdrew to quiet places to be alone with his father, not when he felt like it and not when his schedule was wide open, but often. So Jesus knew firsthand this privilege he spoke of when he told Martha that Mary had discovered the one thing that was most needed. And he wasn't mad at Martha for wanting to make dinner. He wasn't mad at her for doing that first instead of sitting at his feet. He wasn't calling her out or chiding her for not being like her sister. He was inviting her, right along with Mary, to do what he did, to do what he knew was vital. His response shows us just how much he loved her. And just like his response to Mary in a later story shows us how much he loved her. And this is might want to be one of my favorite Jesus stories. It's found in Luke chapter 11, and it's the story of when Lazarus, Martha, and Mary's brother gets really sick, and his sisters send a message to Jesus asking him to come, and Jesus doesn't come right away, even though he gets their message, and even though he loves them very much, he doesn't come right away. Um, he waits a couple days, and by the time Jesus makes it to their town, Lazarus, their brother, is dead and buried. And when Martha hears that Jesus is approaching their village, she runs out to meet him. And I love it. She's as honest as we read in the last story. She says, my Lord, if only you had come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. And you can hear her question, you know, why didn't you come? But then it's immediately followed by her expression of trust I know nothing is impossible for you. But where is Mary? Verse 20 says, When Martha heard Jesus was approaching the village, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Why? The text doesn't say, but we can imagine, you know, she was devastated and hurt that Jesus didn't come when she thought he would. And he didn't show up in the way that she was expecting him to. And it hurt. It hurt so much so that this time Jesus wasn't her first choice. And Martha runs to find her sister and says, the master is here and he's asking for you. And that's all Mary needed to hear. Verse 29 says, she quickly went off to find him for Jesus was lingering outside the village. And notice Jesus calls for Mary and he pursues her, but he leaves a lot of room for her to still choose him. And she does. She went running back to the feet of Jesus, to that quiet place that she had known before. Um, but she didn't leave her broken heart back at the house. You know, she brought it all with her. And um, when she finally finds Jesus, she falls at his feet 
and leaves her heart bare, crying out her frustration, her sorrow, her anger, her disappointment. Lord, she says, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And unlike her sister, she doesn't follow it up with an expression of trust. You can almost hear her angry and her accusation. Why didn't you come when I thought you would? And why didn't you show up like I hoped you would? I don't know if you can relate to that. It took a couple weeks of trying to sit quietly with Jesus last year before I could finally sit long enough to just whisper out loud um, some of my own anger and hurt that maybe I didn't realize how long I'd been holding on to. Um, as many of you know, uh, my daughters, Finley and Riley, uh, were born really early at 23 weeks. And in the hours before they were born, the doctors had the really hard job of telling us that, you know, born that early, there's a 50% chance of survival. And if they do survive, there was a long list of probable outcomes that were like, cool. So, you know, the doctors in a lot of ways were right. Finley got to go home with Jesus the day she was born, and Riley hung in there for a solid 24 hours before her lungs and her brain started bleeding. And on paper, it looked like she wouldn't make it through the weekend, but she did. She's six years old today, and she continues to surprise her doctors, and she amazes us. And I could stand up here for hours and tell you stories of how God has shown up for Riley and for us just over and over and over again. He has done a million little miracles in her, and I know that I don't fully realize all of them, and I won't on this side of heaven. Every day we get to spend with her is this awesome reminder of God's goodness and his faithfulness. And at the same time, which honestly is hard to say out loud, because after all of that, you know, how could there be a but? Um, I learned in English class a long time ago that when you use the word but in a sentence, it's like on the contrary. So I don't like to use that word in this case. I like to use at the same time. So at the same time, you know, God has done, and we truly believe he's going to do amazing things in Riley. We see it every day. But at the same time, the everyday challenges and the struggles that she faces, the surgeries she's had, the ones that she will have, um, the hours and hours and hours of therapy are just these reminders of her rocky beginnings and of her brain bleed and of just things not going the way that you had thought they were going to go. My husband and I find ourselves in this tension and it hurts a little bit watching Riley, she's six now, like watching her discover that tension too. You know, on the one hand, we are so thankful for all the miracles that he's done in just one tiny little person. And then at the same time, in the same day or week or month, it's overwhelming for all the things that we are still longing for him to do. And, uh, you know, if we're honest, just wish he had done already. So maybe you find yourself just living in a place of tension. And so, you know, what do we do with that? How do we live in that place? And how do we, like, keep living in that place? And how do we do it well? And is it possible to, like, to thrive in that place? I'm learning that it is um, over this last year. I think, I think it is when we do what Mary did, when we choose to sit at Jesus' feet, just as we are with all that we carry and let ourselves just 
lay it all out in front of him. I mean, he already knows the hurt and the disappointment and the frustration and the questions we're holding on to. He's just that amazing. He is not afraid of that, and he's not offended by them. When Mary finally fell in front of Jesus, you know, we might expect him to say what we probably would have said. You know, it's about time. Where have you been? Um, Don't you trust me? Don't you know me at all? But instead, Jesus doesn't say anything. Verse 33, when Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping at his feet and all of her friends who were there grieving with her, He shuddered with emotion and was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. So Jesus wasn't offended by Mary's questions or her tears. He was moved by her. He cried with her, not because he was overwhelmed in the same way that she was, because he is the resurrection. He is the conqueror. He is the overcomer. He is eternal life. He was moved so much because he loved her so much. And he was present with her in that moment. And God first showed me this story when we were living with Riley in the NICU. Uh, She had been moved to Akron for an emergency brain surgery. And I remember sitting outside in the warm summer sunshine and feeling super cold and super numb. And it had been two months since we had said, see you later to Finley. And with all that kept spiraling with Riley's health, I just had never really had time to sit and process anything. And by that point, I really didn't want to sit with Jesus. I really didn't want to process anything with him. Uh, I was really hurt and disappointed. You know, Finley and Riley were born so early that we didn't really have a lot of double stuff. You know, we didn't have a lot of things to return. Um, But, you know, you have pictures in your mind of how it's going to go. And it was just really hard to think about only bringing one of them home. I was scared, to be honest. I really wanted to take Riley home. I hoped she would live to see that day. And at the same time, there it is, at the same time, I was really scared because I didn't know if I could be a mom of a kid with special needs. And I sat in the sun just thinking of all these things, and I felt the Holy Spirit remind me of the story of broken Mary, you know, falling at Jesus' feet. And I read it over and over and over again in those months. And the circumstances were still what they were. The loss was still there, but it meant so much to me to be reminded of his presence, that he was with me in that moment, that his spirit was in me and with me, and I could bring all that I was feeling you know, at any time with him and cry with him. Um, You know, a lot of days it felt like too much for me, but it wasn't for him. So if you came in here tonight feeling at all like Mary, just feeling crushed in your spirit, please know he loves you so much. No matter how distant he may feel right now, he is present right here in this moment, and he is calling your name, and he so wants you to choose him He wants you to come running just as you are because he's moved by you. That's how much he loves you. And if you came in here tonight feeling a little like Martha, just tired, frustrated, exasperated, know that he sees you. Um, You are his beloved, and he just longs for you to pull up that chair and sit with him. The place at his feet in the quiet of his presence, it's a safe place. It's the safest place. It's where our souls are just longing to come home and find rest. And he's just waiting, waiting for us to make that choice to sit with him. 
And we can start small, I'm learning, it's okay, five, ten minutes a day, take a deep breath, in and out. Um, it's simple, not easy, but simple. All we have to do is just choose to show up. So in those weeks of staying home last fall, I decided that's what I'm going to do. I was going to go to that spot on the back porch every day to just be with Jesus. And sometimes it was for a few minutes. Sometimes it was longer. Sometimes it was in the morning. Sometimes it had to be at night. Um, sometimes it was just a couple times a day. Sometimes I talked to Jesus. Sometimes I just tried to sit there and listen, though that's hard because my thoughts would just bounce all over the place. But I didn't try to worry about that. I just was just was going to go through it. Just sit there and keep coming back, keep coming back. And I was really surprised to find that no matter how quiet it felt inside or how noisy it felt inside, changed everything just by choosing to do that every day. It affected the days to come then when we had her surgery. Like even in those days in Akron, there were some hard, long, just sad ones when Riley was recovering, recovering from her surgery and just learning to sit again and walk again. And I just would find myself, she had a little bathroom in her room, I would just step in there sometimes, just take a minute, breathe. I remember Chris saying in one of his sermons on treasuring his presence, God, you're here, I'm here, okay? We'd like go back out and do it again. And you know, you were still in the same circumstances, it was still hard, but I was different, you know? I still felt all the feels, but it was different because those minutes with Jesus, so... Many of you already know this. The quiet place is your go-to place, and it has been for years. And then for some of us, you know, maybe it's been a minute since you've sat with Jesus, like just you and Jesus. For me, really, it was several years. I mean, I didn't mean for it to go that long. If you have little kids, you know, it's hard to go to the bathroom by yourself, you know. So, you know, you just, like, life is, it is, it's busy. I remember thinking, you know, like, I'll, I'll do that when things just get quieter, you know? But in any season, you know, there's going to be distractions and things that we can be busy with, and um, it all comes with its own noise. There's always going to be something pulling us here or there, so you know, now's the time. So Kate is going to come and lead us in one more worship song, and I just want to encourage you, you know, before we get to go on and have some cookies to just take a few minutes to sit or stand and just be with Jesus, whether you were in the quiet place with him this morning or if it's been a while, just know that he's really glad you're here.